Good morning, my name is Daniel Budd, and we continue uh, our sermon series on the Heidelberg Catechism this morning. And as you remember, we go through five, we picked five questions. We already did two, and uh, um, today we look at the third one. What is true faith? What is true faith? I wonder, how old were you? Do you remember how old were you when you first time either read or you heard the Hellebore Catechism? How, how old were you? Some of you maybe you remember the gray Psalter hymnal, and at the end there's the Catechism. And uh, at the end of the service, if you want one of these, you just grab from these uh, Bible stands. You know, there are shelves around. At least there are one there and maybe on the hallway. So this contained that. And I wonder... If you remember reading it for the first time or hearing the catechism for the first time. In my case, um, I was 27 years old when for the first time I even heard the name Heidelberg Catechism. I was at Calvin Seminary and I even took a class. This was my textbook, you know. It says the Heidelberg Catechism with scripture text. So you have the scripture text. All over, um, for every question and answer you have the scriptures there too. And I loved it so much that I wanted to translate it for my people in Romania. And as I was um, starting to do that, I kept searching and I discovered that somebody else translated just a few years earlier. And I was glad that we had it. <laughs> but that, that was me, and I loved it because of its teaching, because of its organized structure. And also because it was similar to my background. I um, grew up in a Baptist, more evangelical faith that came to my country in the 19th century. The Heidelberg Catechism was in the 16th century, so about 300 years earlier. The backdrop of the Heidelberg Catechism was the Catholic Church. In my case, was the Eastern Church. So in my case, uh, because of the Eastern Church and their emphasis on liturgy and creeds and so forth, we moved and we said we want Jesus because we felt that the church lost Jesus in the midst of all of those creeds and liturgy, liturgy and, and stuff. Um, so we said back to Jesus. Uh, by the way, there was a fifth grader who uh, somebody told me uh, this morning that he, uh, he was asked in Sunday school, do you know what true faith is? And the answer was, true faith is believing what you know, it ain't true. How about that? Believing what you, you know, it ain't true. That, that's supposed to be a joke, you know? <laughs> but true faith is not believing what you ain't, you, you know, it ain't true. But um, I asked some people on Facebook, you know, I said, hey, what do you think about uh, uh, f- uh through faith, how would you define? Some of you said, knowing and believing, knowing and believing God's promises, making, uh, being sure that God will do what He promised. Some other people said, stepping off the ledge without a safety net, and knowing that Jesus will be my parachute. Interesting things, right? And some of them are very personal. And this is what we are going to look at this morning. Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 21 says this. True faith is uh, is not only a knowledge and confidence that everything God reveals to us in His Word is true. 
It is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven, have been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. Now, the truth is that next week we are going to look more, and Pastor Ron will continue looking more into what does it mean to be saved. So I would like us to focus on the first part this morning. True faith is not only a knowledge and confidence, but I will say that we can use trust in some translations are trust. So I would like us to look at these three words. Knowledge, trust, and assurance. Knowledge, trust, and assurance. And to better understand this Heidelberg Catechism question and answer, I will say, would you please let me introduce to you a biblical story, a gospel story. And I picked one about faith. And this comes from the gospel of Mark chapter 2. Jesus is in the city of Capernaum at the north of the Sea of Galilee. It is Mark chapter 2. He has not even picked yet his disciples. They are not all of them picked yet. And he is performing what he was called to do. He preaches the word and he brings healing to people. And they come and they are eager and hungry to hear him. And there is a house in Capernaum where he stops and he enters the house and he continues to teach them the word, to preach them the word. And people come and surround the house. They get in the house and they enjoy his power, his teachings. But there is somebody in this story that is with a very difficult predicament, a person with a very difficult situation. And his predicament is that he is a paralytic. He is totally dependent on others. Have you ever been in the presence or have you ever seen a paralytic? There is nothing that can person do. He cannot dress himself. He cannot feed himself. He cannot cook for himself. He cannot go to the restroom by himself. He is totally dependent on others. He might look healthy from the outside when he is laying on a bed. But if you ask him to do anything, then you realize that the appearances, the outward look, is not what's going on on the inside. On the inside, a paralytic person cannot control what the mind says to do, the body will not. Is the disconnect between mind and body or heart. And paralysis doesn't have to be only a illness, right? Maybe you heard this name, analysis paralysis. You analyze things so much that you cannot make a decision. You look at things so many angles, from so many angles that you are stuck. Or it can be a situation in your life, right? It can be a breakup of a marriage that just paralyzes you. Or a loss of a loved one. And you become so dependent and so unable to function. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's loneliness. You just, in a world of 7 billion people, you find yourself without friends. But what's interesting is, this paralytic has four friends. Four men. They come 
and they pick him up. They dress him, they clean him, and they say, hey, buddy, there is a solution. There is some hope. We heard of this Jesus. He is in this house, and we are here to dress you, to clean you up, to put you on a stretcher, on a mat, and we are carrying you to him. We believe that he can do something for you. So they pick him up, and they start going towards where Jesus is, but there is a problem. They could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. Can you imagine going with this paralytic, four of them, he must have been, you know, an adult, maybe a little bit on a heavy side. So four of them are carrying him on a mat, and they look, and there's no entrance. They say, let's go in the back door, and they go to the back door. Maybe they say, okay, let's try a window. Jesus is inside teaching, and they cannot get to him, and they know we have to show to show and to be in Christ's presence. We want Jesus to meet this guy, our friend, the paralytic. They are so committed that they say, we must find a way. We must find a way. Evangelism is hard. Bringing somebody to Jesus is not easy. You will always have obstacles. And Gandhi said, Some, sometimes our people, Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Sometimes people that are around Jesus create obstacles. But sometimes you say, I've tried everything. I prayed for my son. I prayed for my daughter. And they are still prodigals. I pray for my financial situation, but I still live paycheck to paycheck. But especially, you might say, I pray for my neighbor or my colleague at work. I pray for my husband or my wife, and I'm almost at the point of giving up. But these four people, they don't give up. They say, we must find a way. So what do they do? They say, we are going to take the painful route. They look at the roof of the house, and there is an opening there. Maybe some people are already on the roof, but they say there is some room on the roof. Can you imagine them pulling four of them, this guy on the roof? So go, they go to the pain of pulling. Somehow they pull him up on the roof. I don't know how, but they do. It's an amazing thing. And then they start, then they make an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lower the mat. So suddenly, can you imagine the owner of the house... No, not knowing what happens, you know, say, who's, I mean, the, the piece is falling on them? Because they lowered him right in front of Jesus. You know, what, what do you think? Somebody will be banging to our ceiling here, you know, and then started to pull, you know, we will stop, right? It will be such a disturbance. The discussion stops, the teaching stops. Everybody is looking, what is going on? What on earth is happening? And they don't care. Their purpose is to bring this paralytic to Jesus. And what's interesting is Jesus looks at them, and the text says, when Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. It wasn't the faith of the paralytic. It was the faith of these four friends. Jesus looks at them, and the paralytic is right in, in front of him. But he says, when Jesus saw their faith. He looked at the paralytic, but he saw their faith. That's when he acted. And I wonder this morning, what if Jesus looks at me? What if he looks at you? What is he seeing? What is he seeing? And if he were to act on our faith, what would he do? What sort of an action, what sort of a response will Jesus have 
to your faith and to my faith this morning. When Jesus saw their faith, Mark says, and in fact, the, four, the three gospel, three of the four gospels mention this story, and all of them say the same thing. When Jesus saw their faith, it's a visible faith because it's a faith in action. It's faith that goes the extra mile. It faith, it's faith that knows if Jesus sees this problem, if Jesus sees this predicament, he can do something about it. Of course, they wanted healing. And Jesus looks at them, says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, not to them. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. What a powerful pronouncement. Son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine how puzzled he might have been? He might have thought, you know, he is going to tell me something. You know, maybe give me some, some hope. Maybe say, you know, you, you'll be able to use your, one of your legs. How about that? How about one of the sides? You know, healing. How about my hands? But Jesus looks at him and says, your son, son, your sins are forgiven. He thinks, he thinks that he knows what he needs. He thinks that his needs is end of this pain, of this suffering. And yet Jesus says, no, your problem is way deeper than the appearances. Your problem is way deeper than the disconnect between your nerves, you know, the command from the brain to the command to your limbs. That's a problem, and I can address it. And it's, it's a real problem. It causes you so much hardship. And maybe it's a problem you never, you, you never caused in the beginning. It, it just came upon you. You had nothing to do with it. You just have to suffer it. But Jesus says, but your deeper problem is your heart. The deeper problem is your sin. It goes way deeper than what you can see. So therefore, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Visible faith, right? Visible faith brings people, situation to Jesus. Now, if you go back to the Heidelberg Catechism, and you say, how is this fitting in what the, the Catechism teaches? You see, the Catechism says, says this, you know, true faith is not only a knowledge, but it starts with knowledge. A knowledge that everything God reveals to us in his word is true. There is that knowledge part. And I would like us to focus on these things. First of all is knowledge. Jesus says there is some knowledge in these people. And he calls that faith. They come to him knowing that he can do things. So I will just put here the word knowledge. Okay, And that's what Jesus does. He looks at them and he sees their faith. And maybe you wonder, do I have that knowledge? Do I have that knowledge that he can see my faith? It is a line that you have to cross. It's still a line that you have to cross. You see, in the Bible it says, this is the eternal life that people will know you, the only true God. If you don't cross this line, and if you imagine that that's the line, right? Before you cross this line, you can believe anything you want. You can believe that there are many things. But once you cross this line, you have some basic knowledge about God. You know that he is the only true God. So you cross this line. And some of you cross. Some of you are still behind here. And you say, I'm still in this, in this I know, in, in the research and in the, in the study phase. I haven't crossed this line. Others you say, I'm, I am beyond. I believe that God is the only true one. And I believe 
that I need to know him. And I know him. And I know him. You see, the Pharisees were there. The teachers of the law, the scribes, they were there when this miracle happened. And they looked at Jesus, and they looked at the paralytic, and they, in their mind, this is what they say. He says, how can he say those things? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they have some knowledge. They know who is the true God. And they are in this, this place where they have knowledge, and yet they don't believe in this God, in this Christ. They are not convinced that Christ Jesus can do things that only God can do. They think maybe he's just a teacher. He is maybe with powers to, to do some miracles, but he doesn't have power to heal or even to forgive sins. And if he does power, has power to forgive, to, to heal, he, he must have never even said that he can forgive sins. Because only God can do that. Only God. He is not God. So they have some knowledge. They know the law. They know the Torah. They memorize it. They maybe went to the synagogue and to the temple every day. And they obey so many laws. They even teach. But they stay to this, in this phase. They never cross into the next one. They do not believe in their heart. They do not believe in their heart that this Jesus is indeed God. They do not trust. They do not, crest, they do not cross the, last, the, the second line. They, they do not cross this and they say, well, maybe, maybe this is the Messiah. What if he is the one that we expected? What if he indeed can do what he says that he can do here? They never cross this line of trust. They know everything. And they can be what, like some of you are, you know. You come to church, you say, I was born, I learned the Hannibal Catechism. I even memorized most of it. I know how to answer the questions. I know I am in this knowledge. But I never put my trust in Jesus. I never crossed this other line. I never went over this line and said, I now trust that what he says is true. And this is what the, bio, the, the Catechism says. And the first verse quoted in the Catechism is about this belief in God. And then it says, the Catechism, not only... A knowledge, a trust that everything God reveals to us in his word is true. There's nothing in the Bible that is not true. Whatever the Bible says, I believe. Whatever the Bible says, I believe. You see, if you are here and you don't cross into the trust, you are in a pretty dangerous company. Trust that everything God reveals to us in his word is true. That's true. But if you don't cross this, you are in the company of the demons. The demons believe there is only one God. They cross this line. They are not polytheists. They don't believe that there are many gods. They know that there is only one true God. So they crossed from not knowing things into the knowing things. And they stay here. They never go and put their trust in Jesus. They hope that what the Bible says, it will not come true. That Christ will not come the second time and set things all right for forever and ever. They are still here enjoying deceiving people, lying to people, and they stay here. They know there is only one God, and yet they don't trust him. They cannot do that. They will not do that. Trust in truth, not in feelings, was somebody else saying on Facebook when I said, Who, what is true belief for you? Trust in truth, not in feelings. Or being able to say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. 
God, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, once you are trust, when you trust and you start to say the, what the Bible says is true, you, you start to say no. What the church did throughout the centuries, when they put together these 66 books of the Bible in the canon, what they did is they looked at what is true and what is not true. And they together, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we believe, they decided that whatever book contained an error, they put it out. They said, that's wise, but not inspired. So now we have these 66 books that we believe together make our scripture, the Bible. And they have no errors. We call it the infallibility of the Bible. We believe that the Bible is organically inspired, divinely inspired by God. We believe that it contains no errors. We trust in it. We trust in it to the point that we can say, if it has an error, we must be wrong. Let's look deeper to the answers. But we believe the Bible has no errors. We believe that we can trust and lay our trust, lay our, our, our life, put and at, at stake our life on the Bible. It's like leaning on a chair, sitting on a chair, trusting that the chair will support you. That's what we believe, that the Bible can hold us forever and ever. There is a guy who uh, grew up Muslim, and uh, his name is Nabil Qureshi. And he wrote this book about his conversion, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And this is what he says in, in his book. He says like this. The Bible says that God loves even those who are thirsting for righteousness. Whereas the Quran says God does not love anyone except those who are righteous. The Bible says, blessed are you if you hunger for righteousness. And he said, this was knowledge for me. New knowledge. This was revelation. I stepped into not knowing the Bible Worshipping a different God, seeking Allah. And he said, when I discovered this, this was powerful to me. Suddenly the God of the Bible says, if you seek, if you are hungry for righteousness, you are blessed. Whereas the Quran says, only if you are righteous, you are blessed. And he said, that was knowledge for me. And then he said, I discovered this other verse in the Bible. Everyone who acknowledges me before man, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before man, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. He said, when I, when I read this verse, I was in the knowledge. I had some knowledge of the Bible, of what the Bible says. I was still comparing the Bible and the Quran and looking wherever I could find logical inconsistencies in the Bible. And I went back to the Bible and back to the Quran. But when I got to this verse, he said, I just went to Christ and I crossed that line. He says, I fell on my knees and I asked Jesus, count me in, in the crowd, in the people, in the family of those who acknowledge you before men because I want to be a Christian. He put his trust in Christ. He stepped that line. And finally, the, the catechism says, the third one is assurance. We need assurance. We move from trust to assurance. And we have to cross this line too. You see the four people, they were pretty sure that whatever the obstacles are, they need to cross this line too. Over here they knew that Christ is doing something, but there were so many obstacles. There were people, there were crowds, 
And they said, no, we still must bring him to Jesus. And they crossed the line. They pull out painfully, hardly, all of the obstacles, the roof, whatever, the ceiling they had to do. And they lowered their friend right in front of Jesus. True faith, the catechism says, is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit to the gospel. An assurance that is in my heart. It says, not only others, that not only others. That's the assurance. That is not only Abraham. It's not only Moses. It's not only Stephen. But it is I, too. Personal faith. Me, too, have had my sins forgiven. That me, too, me, too, we can, I can cross this line and say, like the paralytic, I look and I say, Jesus, I want to be counted. And he looks at you and he looks at me and says, my son, my daughter, your sins, because you trust in me. Your sins are forgiven. Enjoy in this presence of those who have the assurance. When things get difficult, another Facebook answer from you guys. He says, when things get difficult, my roots go even deeper. My roots go even deeper. And this is what the, the, the Hebrew says. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There was this story in the Christianity today. They said this was the most read story of the persecuted church in 2015. Maybe you heard you know, this story again and again. It's so powerful. There are 21 Christians, Egyptians, that are uh, captured by ISIS and beheaded. And there are those two rows by the sea. The role of those who are executioners and those who are executed, beheaded. And what's wonderful is that although ISIS made the video, they allowed them on the video to say, before they are beheaded, to say here in this assurance field, they say, I believe in Jesus and I will never deny him. And I am so glad that today I'm going to be with him in heaven. And one of their their mothers, one mother who lost two sons among those 21. The mother says, among other things, she says, well, religiously they are wrong. Personally, I will still uh, give them lunch. Uh, but militarily, you know, she says, I think it's good for us to respond because you cannot mistreat prisoners. But she said also, I want to thank them. I want to thank ISIS because they sent my children, my two boys, straight into heaven, into God's hands. And they are with Jesus now. That's assurance. Whatever happens, whatever happens, you stand there with Jesus. And I'm not sure where you are. But these are the three things that the catechism tells us. You need to step these lines. You need to move from just a broad general seeking knowledge to a clear knowledge of God. That he is the one. That Christ is it. And that's what we sang this morning. I believe in God the Father. And if you look at the next questions in the catechism. It says what do we need to believe. And they basically list. They say this is the essence. The apostles creed. I believe in God the Father creator. I believe in Christ the Savior. And I believe in the Holy Spirit the sanctifier. But you have to cross these lines. If you are here and you haven't crossed the first line. I will say that you have to come to Jesus. Just go to him and say, Jesus, can you count me among those that trust in you? I want to move across the line to knowledge and say, I know that you are the only true God. And Jesus, you are the only Savior. For those of us who 
have some trust in him. You say, maybe I am in this, in this area of trust. You know, I, I, I move from knowledge to trust. I joined the church. I even made my profession of faith. But I am still unsure if I have the assurance of forgiveness of sin, of salvation. I would say just, just continue to build your faith. And say, Jesus, if you brought me here and I have this trust, I want today to have your assurance. The assurance of salvation, the assurance of your grace, the assurance that I am like the others received in your kingdom. And if you are here, here this morning and say, I have the assurance. I can recite the creed and I am with the others. I will say, do not stop. True faith is the faith that makes an impact in somebody else's life. It's difficult. But true faith will impact the lives of others. When you are assured of your salvation, then you can say to others, you too can be here. And you look back and say, you too can have knowledge, keep searching, you too can have trust, and you too can come here and have assurance. Because once you are in the kingdom, you want to pull others with you. And that's what the invitation is with us. Don't stop, don't quit. Keep praying for the prodigal. Keep praying for the lost. Let me just end with a story. There was a lady in our family. She married one of our uncles. He was a believer, but she wasn't. And for fourth years, our family prayed for her. And last fall, finally, she was so reluctant. She even hated the church. She hated everybody. And last year, she said, I think there's something changing in my heart. I start to believe. You see, the catechism says that this assurance, this faith, this trust, this knowledge is not our, true faith is not our work. It is the gift of God. It comes from His grace. And she started to say, there is something changing in my heart. And she was baptized recently as an adult. She made profession of faith. Forty years of prayers. And I say, don't give up. One of you said, my daughter was a prodigal daughter, but I, we prayed for her, and I prayed for her, and we prayed. And after 70 years, she came back to God. So I would say, don't stop. Keep praying. Keep hoping. Keep do, keep do those painful things. Because if somebody comes in the presence of Jesus, something happens. He receives you as you are, but he will never leave you as you are. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the true faith that we uh, are called to have. So those of us, those that are still searching and unsure, may they receive the boldness to start trusting, to start knowing. For those of us who are trusting you but are unsure, may you continue to build our assurance that we too, like the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, like the generations before us, we too receive the assurance of the forgiveness of sin, of, of, of our salvations. That we too, we can be certain that one day, one day we will forever rejoice in heaven with our loved ones. And give us, those of us who have assurance, give us the passion to continue to pray for the lost. To continue to seek those who are far away. And to continue to show your grace and love to our prodigal sons and daughters. To our neighbors, to our friends. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you please stand? And uh, as you leave this place, if, if you need prayer, there is a prayer room to my right, and somebody will be there praying with you. Otherwise, may you know and may you go in the powerful love of God the Father, in the grace of Jesus Christ the Savior, and in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may go in peace.